Welcome to Daily Meds with Pastor Richard L. Forney Sr., pastor, teacher at New Joy Fellowship Ministries in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Grab your paper and pen and tune in to see what the Lord has to say today. And that is to heal, restore, and to reconcile the wounded, broken, and disconnected. Tells about this story about Peter and what Jesus does for Peter. I want to read for your hearing from John chapter 21, beginning with verse number 15. I'm reading from the New International Version today, and it reads as follows. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Uh, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. As we talk about this story of restoration today, that, that's the, I'm going to stop reading there. We'll talk about the, the other part of it. But as we talk about this story of restoration, I want you to think about humbled but restored. Or if you like something better, you can say broken, but restored. You don't like that one? How about this? Disappointed, but restored. You can put any word that you want to put at the first part of it, but you got to come back at the end and you still have to say, but restored. Because that represents the, the, the purpose of Jesus' ministry was to to reconcile and to restore that which was lost and broken. Father, as we come before you today just to eat of your word, Father, we ask, Lord, for your anointing upon God, our hearts, upon our tongues, upon our ears, upon our eyes, that, God, we will be able to see and hear from your spirit as you speak. We thank you, God, for this gospel recorded by the Apostle John. We thank you, God, for how the Spirit led him to recall and to record God important truths. Now enable us, God, to receive, to glean from, to learn 
but most importantly, God, to be fed by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This particular story of restoration is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead. And he finds them, seven of them, at the Sea of Tiberias. You got Simon, Nathaniel, who was from Cana, Thomas. You have the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And then there are two other disciples that were together along with Peter. And Peter apparently had gotten restless and decided that he was going to go fishing. So you recall on the first two appearances, Jesus showed up, they were in a locked room, afraid after he had been raised from the dead, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had actually put him to death. They were afraid and so they were locked in and Jesus showed up, came into their space even though the door was closed and locked. Jesus showed up. And at that point, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side and he said to them, believe. Well, you know, at that time, Thomas was not with them. And so on a later occasion, Thomas then is with them and Jesus shows up again because Thomas had said to them, listen, y'all can say that you've seen Jesus, but until I see him with my own eyes and touch him with my own fingers and put my hand in the place where his side was punctured. I, listen, I'm no offense, fellas, but I'm not taking your word for it. I've got to see it for myself. So Jesus shows up again when they are in a locked door and he presents himself to them and he specifically says to Thomas, here I am. Put your hand in my fingers, the holes in my hand. Put your hand in my side. See, see, Thomas, I'm, I'm real. I'm alive. What they told you was true. Then he, Thomas, Thomas looked at him. And he said, my, my Lord and my, my God, I believe. And Jesus said, listen, blessed are those who don't see, but believe. And so on this third occasion, while they were still awaiting, Simon decides that he wants to, to go fishing. If you remember, Simon is a fisherman by trade. Before, before he started to walk with Jesus, that's what he did for a living. He, along with his brother, and he had partnered with some other folks. They did that to provide for themselves. But Jesus came along and interrupted Simon's life and said to Simon, 
come and follow me. And so now Simon is in his restless state because Jesus has been crucified, but he's also been raised from the dead. But Jesus has said, wait. And you know how some of us can be sometimes, those of us who are busybodies, who have to always have something to do, who do not, we don't like sitting still. When we get restless, we go back to what we're familiar with. Simon says, (laughs) he said, wait, but he didn't say, I can't fish. You know, that's just like us, right? We we look for, uh, okay, (laughs) I can do this. He didn't say, I can't do this. And wasn't nothing wrong with that. He said, I, I can't do it. So, so when he says, I'm going fishing, the other guys were with him and said, hey, man, you ain't got to go by yourself. We restless too. Let's go. And so, and so his influence brings them to the lake with him and they all go fishing. And it's unfortunate, though, that as they are fishing, even though that was his his business, his trade, what he was good with, not just him, but James and John, the the sons of of Zebedee, they were also fishermen and they were good at it. It's, It's unfortunate that on this particular day when they choose to go fishing, that at the end of the night, when the sun was almost up, they fished all night long and they had caught nothing. They came up empty. Can you imagine the frustration? I'm restless and I've got to go do something to make me feel like I'm important. Or I've got to go do something to take the edge off because I'm tired of waiting. And then when I go and do the thing that I want to go do, it's still not productive. And so I come back more frustrated than I was before. And so can you just imagine they're coming back in? The sun is coming up and they're frustrated having not caught any fish at all, ready to go home and just rest for the day. But as they are approaching the shore, a voice calls from the shoreline about a football field away. He says to them, do you have any fish? And they Seen back, no, we caught nothing. He says, just cast your net over on the right side of your boat. And so they do. What do they have to lose? They don't have anything. What do they have to lose? And they know that they've been told to cast their nets before at the end of a night where they came up empty and they remember what happened then. So they cast the nets on the side of the boat and when they did, fish filled the net. In fact, we're told that it was 153 fish that actually filled the net. John gives us that number because when he, when he says that there's a, a lot of fish, he wants us to know that there are a lot of fish. And, and even though it was so many, and he said large fish, that they did not break the net. And when they caught this large catch of fish, some things start to happen in Simon's mind. Some things start to happen in, in John's mind. And, and suddenly they realize that, wait a minute, I think that's Jesus. And that's what John says to, 
to Simon. And when Simon hears that, that is Jesus that is talking to him, Simon jumps out of the boat, forgets about the fish, and he runs to the shore to meet with Jesus. Again, because he's only about 100 yards away, about a football field away. He's, he's just, he's like, let me go to where Jesus is. And so he straps on his, his outer garment and he begins to go to the place where Jesus is. Let me, let me remind you of what's going on with Simon or what has happened with Simon because this is extremely important as we talk about restoration. As we talk about humbled but restored, broken but restored, disappointed but restored. Why is that important? If you remember, Peter was the disciple, the follower of Jesus Christ, who had been with him, left his business to go with him, to follow him, had been spending time with him, had been serving with him, had been promoting him, protecting him, encouraging him along the way. But on that dreadful night when Jesus was arrested, Simon Peter was also the one who stood among the fire with the crowd. And when he was asked if he was a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, he's the one who said no. And when he was asked a couple of more times, it got so serious that he added some expletives to his description and said to them, I don't know that man. Because Jesus had said to Simon, listen, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. It was a statement that Jesus made to Simon that in Simon's mind that, that no way in the world will I deny you three times. Listen, everybody else might abandon you, but not me. I got your back. I'm, I'm with you. Remember, I, I'm the one that the, that the Spirit of God let know that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Don't you remember, Jesus, when we were hanging out in Caesarea Philippi and you start asking us, who do men say that I am? And we start telling you that folks thought you was one of the prophets. Folks thought you were Elijah. And then you say, well, but who do you say I am? Don't you remember that, that I said that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you said to me, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. I'm not going to leave you. You're the one that, that you're the son of God. Jesus, don't you remember when you start talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood and everybody got all upset with you because you were making this proclamation that if a person doesn't eat from you, they won't be able to live. And they start leaving. Folks who have been following you, enjoying your miracles. They didn't have no problems hanging with you, Jesus, when, when you was changing water to wine. They had no problem hanging with you when you were doing miracles and raising up the sick folk. They had no problems when you were taking two little fish, five loaves of bread, and feeding everybody. Oh, you was cool then. But then when you start saying, eat my 
flesh and drink my blood. They, they got attitude and they decided that you were no longer worthy to be followed. And don't you remember what you looked at us and said, are y'all going to leave too? Don't you remember what I said, Jesus? I said, where we going to go? You have the answers of life. It would be foolish for us to leave you. So no, I can't even imagine turning my back on you. I, I, can't, I can't imagine leaving the one who, who, who when my mother-in-law was sick and I was troubled because here it is, she's sick and I'm leaving my wife to care for her and I'm out with you. You, you came in and you had mercy upon my mother-in-law. You touched her and you raised her. I know how sick she was. I can't imagine me leaving you or betraying you or turning my back on you. And that's classic Peter. Classic Peter is Jesus would tell Peter something and classic Peter would argue with Jesus as though Jesus don't know what he's talking about. Yet classic Peter is like classic me and you. Classic me and you is God reveals truth to us and we argue with God like he don't know what he's talking about. God will tell us that there are certain things that we don't need to do because when we start to do those certain things, that those certain things will cause us to stumble and fall. But we'll argue with him like, don't you know how strong I am? That's who I used to be. That's not me no more. And he would tell us that there are some people that we need to cut off because those people that we are hanging with ain't good for us. They will soil our reputation or sometimes you know what? Guilty by association. You may have been innocent, but the folk you didn't caught been, been caught up with, all of a sudden, they they guilty, and now you've got to suffer because of that. But no, we 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 start arguing with the Lord because He has spoken to us, given us instruction, and we start telling Him, No, 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 you you don't understand. I'm trying to win them to Christ. Classic us, classic us. God says to us that he will provide for all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Then he says to you and me, all I want you to do is bring to me the first part of everything that I give you. Now, see, God, you don't understand. If I give you the first part of what you've given me, I'm not going to have enough to take care of my other commitments. So it's probably a good idea, but I can't, but wait a minute. See, what we've said is that I'm willing to follow you wherever you direct me and wherever you take me. But you can't make that statement and then still have an argument with God when he gives you instructions. Says, no matter how hard, how difficult it may sound or seem, your job is to walk in obedience to what he has said. And, and it is when you and I walk in obedience to what he has said is that we discover that God really is true and he really is faithful and he really will do everything that he said he will do. And he is able, he is capable, capable of making a way out of no way. 
is when you and I begin to take matters into our own hands that will sometimes mess things up. So this man, Peter, has found himself in this position of where Jesus has told him, you're going to deny me. But Peter has said, no, 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 not me. I'm not the one. And then we know because we have the story that it did happen on that fateful night that Peter does deny knowing Jesus Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. And after doing that, Peter's heart is broken because when you read in the gospel, what happened is Peter runs out. He hears the rooster crow. When the rooster crows, he and Jesus makes eye contact. Jesus looks at him as though the crow reminds Peter of what Jesus has said. Peter looks at Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter. And when that happens, Peter breaks down. And because of him doing something that he didn't think he would do, he's now wounded and broken. Because he has let down the one, he really loves him. He really believes in him. He really believes that Jesus is the son of God. And now he is wounded and broken because of his actions. And so when you start thinking about Peter after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you need to see Peter in a wounded condition. He's no longer the Peter who was, as we talk about him, being boastful and arrogant and confident. He's now a wounded Peter. Because there was the denial of his savior that caused him to be broken. And even though Jesus has been raised from the dead, Peter still cannot enjoy the fullness of all that has taken place because he's still living in disappointment. Oh, you, you. Sometimes we too let God down. Sometimes we too let Jesus down and when you and I let him down it robs us of our joy it robs us of the freedom that he has given us when we waddle in our guilt instead of receiving his forgiveness when we start to realize that oh I'm not all that I thought I was or I'm not as strong as I thought I was or I never thought I would do that and I end up saying something that I should not have said. Doing something that I should not have done. Watching something that I should not have watched. You know, the, the list goes on and on. And, and then we are broken and it robs us of our joy. And that's where, that's where Peter is after the, the resurrected Savior. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's glad, but he's not experiencing the fullness of joy yet. And, and so it is with you and me. When we, don't, when we don't walk and receive the fullness of all that God has offered to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we can know of Jesus. We can know that he is alive, but we can still be robbed of joy. Brothers and sisters, that should not be. In fact, 
Jesus came to restore. He came to reconcile. He came to deal with that thing that would keep us separated from the Father so that in any situation, in any circumstance, you and I can still have joy. I got to remind you that joy doesn't mean that everything is good all the time. What joy means is that when I've got joy on the inside, what joy means is that I still know that he who holds me has my situation. And if he's got my situation, everything is going to be all right because my destination has already been planned out. I already know where I'm going to go so that, listen, when it's all said and done, he has prepared a place for you and for me, for those who believe in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. He has prepared a place for you and me that says that, listen, when it's all said and done, I got you covered. And until I call you home, I'm going to be with you because I promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And because he is with you and me, we don't have to worry about fear. Because he is with you and me, we don't have to walk in shame. Because he is with you and me, we can exalt him and still have joy in the midst of trouble. But it is the acknowledgement of who he is and what he has done. And it is the receiving of what he offers. So Peter, in his broken state, is fishing. Jesus has appeared a couple of times to say that I am alive, but yet he is still not filled with joy because he is broken. It is on this occasion, the third appearance of Jesus Christ to his disciples, it is on this occasion that Jesus then takes and restores Peter, which means that he forgives Peter, which means that he reinstates Peter, which means that he takes the condemnation and guilt off of Peter and says that, Peter, your mistake, your failure does not disqualify you for what I've called you to do. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Somebody need to hear that because we make mistakes and we start to think that we are no longer qualified to do what God has called us. Listen, listen, some of us need to hear it and some other folk need to hear it too because you and I have a way of trying to disqualify people when they make mistakes, when they fail and we forget that we're supposed to be grace givers, that you and I didn't save them, that you and I didn't call them, that you and I didn't gift them, that you and I didn't give them the spirit of God to transform and change them so you and I have no right then to disqualify them. I know, I know, I know this is not popular. I know, I know, I know, I know that when we operate by, by human rules and judgments that we, we have a way of making sure that people are put in their proper place and when they, when they line up with the way that we want them to line up, like, like who are you really? When they line up with the way that we want them to line up, then we feel like they have a right to do what God called them to do. You know, probably the best illustration of this that shows up is in the story with Paul. You remember Paul and John Mark? You remember John Mark? John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. And, and Paul, Paul and Barnabas took John Mark with them on, on one of their mission trips. But along the way, John Mark apparently got homesick or something happened. We don't get all the details. All we know is that John Mark, in the middle of the mission, decided that he wanted to go back home. And when he decided he wanted to go back home, Paul said, what? 
I'm out here risking my life. Boy, we brought you. Do you know how many folk that, that was asking, could we go? Barnabas lobbied for you to go. And, and I broke down and said, okay, since he's your cousin, I'll let you come. And in the middle of it, you going to leave? You better not come back over here talking about I'm ready now. Paul becomes angry and disgruntled because John Mark doesn't live up to his expectations. It became such a rift that, that the, the, the connection that God had made, that the Spirit of God had made between Barnabas and Saul, it became such a rift that the two of them split and they went separate ways. Paul took Silas and went somewhere and Barnabas took John Mark and said, well, listen, not only is he my cousin, but I'm not going to abandon the work that God, ooh, that God has started in him. Mm. And so he stayed with him. And check this out. Later on, you hear Paul in one of his writings says, listen, John Mark is coming your way. Take care of him. He is useful. And then in another writing, you hear him saying, have John Mark come by and see me. I need him in the work that I'm doing. And though he may not have been ready for what Paul was doing, John Mark was on a journey with God. And let me tell you, when you're on a journey with God, God doesn't finish. He doesn't stop in the middle of it. He finishes his work. And if you and I can just partner with him and let him do what he's going to do, we would be amazed. We would be amazed. So he finishes the work. John Mark, the writer of the gospel of Mark, later becomes useful because he was not disqualified even though one of the most gifted apostles in, that we have in the writings of the New Testament wanted to disqualify him. He didn't have the authority or the right to disqualify. Let me just pause and say this. If anybody has ever tried to disqualify you because you have found yourself operating in a fashion that was not in keeping with what they desired for you to do, don't let them disqualify you. But listen now, you do pay attention to what's being said because it may be some truth that's being spoken. Don't discount it and just say that, oh, that's their opinion or their thought. No, you listen to them. John Mark did need to grow up. Let's be honest. He did. He wasn't supposed to start the mission and then quit. But thanks be to God that Barnabas said, I'm going to stay with you and I'm going I'm going to nurture you. I'm going to care for you and I'm going to continue to teach you until you're ready to stand on your own. So so don't 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 discount the truth about what needs to happen. But listen, if someone has ever tried to disqualify you, just keep going back to the one who called you. And you keep saying to him, I'm sorry that I keep falling on my face. I'm sorry that I keep coming short. I'm sorry that I keep depending upon my own stuff. Will you teach me how to trust in you? Will you teach me how to lay down my will? Will you teach me how to stop being stubborn? Will you teach me how to grow up and mature and grow into all things so that now I can reflect who you are and be conformed to your image and represent the kingdom of God? And if you would do that with the right attitude, with the right heart, with the right mind, what you will see is that the one who called you will shape you and make you into what he has called you to be. Peter. 
broken, disappointed, because he has denied Jesus Christ. But Jesus, the lover of his soul, is waiting for him on the shore. Don't you like that about Jesus? It doesn't matter if, if, they, if they were in a locked room. He knew where they were, and he could find them, and nothing could stop him from getting to them. Oh, it doesn't matter if they're out on the lake fishing. In the dark, he can be on the beach, on the shore, waiting for you to return because nothing will ever separate you. This is good to me, y'all, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No, no, absolutely nothing can ever separate you from him. Absolutely nothing. Jesus is sitting there waiting, and he cries out to them, come. And when they come to shore, he says, Come sit down and have some breakfast. Jesus doing what Jesus does is preparing to serve. And he says to them, come sit down, have some breakfast. You've been out there working all night long and didn't really catch any fish till I showed up. (laughs) But don't worry, I I got the grill hot because they had some charcoal. He had some charcoals that were that were smoking hot. I got the grill hot. Bring me some fish and let me put it on and I'm going to cook breakfast for you. He sat down with, with the disciples and he started to just enjoying breakfast with them, eating with them. It's something about breaking bread together. He started to dine with them and all of their inhibition was let down. And when he was serving them, think about it, he has what? Holes in his hands. When he's serving them, they start to see and confirm. They know intuitively that this is Jesus, but there's something different about the resurrected Jesus than the one who was actually walking up on earth. There's something about him, because if you remember when Mary saw him, she didn't recognize him. When he showed up, when he showed up where they were, they were like, who is this? When the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, when he was walking with them, they didn't recognize him. It was only after he broke bread with them And then they saw the nails in his hands. The spirits were burning within them. They realized that this really is the Messiah. And so here they are. These seven are on the beach with Jesus enjoying breakfast. And nobody is saying anything because they are just struck by what's going on. And as he's feeding them and serving them, they're realizing that, oh, this really is the Savior. He's eating with them. And then Jesus focuses his attention on Simon the son of John. And he asked him three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Again, that's important because remember, Simon had said, the first time he says, do you love me more than these? And and while it is not absolutely clear, I believe it becomes a reference to these disciples that you're with. Some have indicated that it might be in reference to do you love do you love me more than you love fishing? I almost think Jesus would have said fishing. But remember, Simon had made the boast that if everybody else falls away, not me. I love you more than everybody else. And so Jesus said, do you love me? Do you really love me more than these, even though you've denied me? He didn't say it, even though you've denied me, because it doesn't have to be spoken. There are a couple of things that's going on. The charcoal that Jesus is cooking, Simon was warming himself by a charcoal fire. 
when he denied Jesus Christ. And so the charcoal is stimulating his memory and bringing back to him like he really needed to be reminded of what was going on, right? And so then Jesus turns around and says, do you love me? And he asked him three times. Remember, Peter denied him three times. And then the third time that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Read what it says. It says Peter was downcast. He was disappointed. He was heartbroken. He was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time. I told you the first time that I love you. I told you the second time that I love you. Why are you going to ask me three times? He's hurt, but yet he says, you know I love you. Then he proceeds it with another statement. You know all things. That while I may have argued with you before, how dare I argue with you again? That when you start to tell us that you would need to suffer and that you would die on a cross, I argued with you like you really didn't know what you were talking about. I'm not going to make that same mistake again. You, you told me that I was going to deny you three times and I shook my head like, no, no, no. No way. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to argue. Why? Because he has been humble. He's been broken. And now Jesus is in the process of restoring this man. Because that's what he came to do. Jesus came to heal, to restore, and to reconcile. He came to heal the wounded, restore the broken, and reconcile those who were disconnected or who are disconnected from the Father. He came to do this. That was his work. That was his objective. That's why he left heaven and came to dwell among men for 33 years. He didn't do it just for his health. He came and did it for our health. He came and he suffered for you and for me so that you and me, we could be in right relationship with God so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be restored, so that we can know who it is that we are and walk in the fullness of who he has called us to be. So Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Now, this really is specific to, to, to Peter because Peter had been called to be the leader among the disciples. And he had the task of when he was restored, because uh, Jesus had prayed for him before, when he was restored, that he was supposed to strengthen his brothers and take care of his brothers. And not only that, he would also become the one who would give the first message to, to the lost world and on that day at Pentecost, when he preaches, what does it say? Over 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. They trusted Jesus Christ. And, and so Jesus is saying to him, listen, my call on your life has not been revoked. Even though you disappointed me, even though you denied me, I knew you when I first called you. 
There is nothing that has transpired that I'm not aware of. I knew that you would stumble and I knew that you would fall. I knew that you would keep putting your foot in your mouth and I just kept staying with you. I kept trusting you. I knew you. And Peter is saying, I know that you know all things. Wow. What if you and I could get to the place where we actually believe that Jesus knows all things? What, what if we could get to the place that we actually believe that there are no surprises in the economy of God? That what we are going through, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter how unfair, that he really is the all-knowing God who does not have surprises or slip-ups. Think about if you and I could get there, that would be a peace that could rest upon us that no one could take away. If you and I could get there, we would learn how to wait on him until he actually moves and stop getting in front of him. We wouldn't have the pressures that come from everybody else saying move, move, move when we know that God has said wait, wait, wait. Because he knows all things, we can be confident that when the Spirit gives instructions, they are uh, instructions that can be followed that will be for our best interest. Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. And then he goes on to tell him, listen, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you were old, You will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you uh, do not want to go. John says that Jesus said this to indicate to him the kind of death to which Peter would glorify God. So God, Jesus is restoring Peter because it is God's intent. It is Christ's intent that Peter's life bring glory to God. Jesus has restored you and me because it is God's intent that our lives bring glory to God. You and I are to be glory, uh, images of glory wherever we go. We are to bring glory to God wherever we go with whatever we say. That's why that attitude that you and I have has to die. That's why you and I have to crucify self so that folk ain't seeing us, but they seeing the God who lives in us. That's why no matter when, when folks are talking crazy to you, let me tell you, you ain't got to talk back crazy to them. He has given you a spirit of self-control. What that means is that just because it comes in your mind does not mean that you got to open up your mouth and say it. Because he has given you a spirit by which you don't have to operate by what comes in your mind. You do know that the devil plants stuff and he darkens our vision so that we misinterpret stuff. And if you're just operating by what you see are the some of the stuff that comes in your mind that you're no longer fully operating by the spirit of God. Sometimes when you're not certain, you got to be still and wait. Why? Because you are to be one who glorifies God, not only in your life, but even in your death. Peter is humbled, but he's restored. Restored to fulfill the role 
that God has called him to do. Real quickly, some things you and I need to know. That you are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus to do good work. There's a work that God has called you and me to do. And he has healed us, cleaned us, restored us so that we can carry out that work. Because you and I cannot fulfill work in the kingdom of God without the spirit of God operating in us. We can't have the spirit of God operating in us if we are denying the power of Jesus Christ. If we don't acknowledge who Jesus is as the son of God and as the risen savior, then the spirit of God cannot come and live and operate in us because the spirit comes to glorify the father and to glorify the son. And so you and I have to be in that mode of where we are living our lives in such a way that we glorify him. That means that we're doing what he called us to do. For some, that means he has called us to be uh educators some he has called us to be engineers some he has called us to be administrators some he's called us to be preachers of the gospel some he has called us to work in the medical field he has called you to do different things dr luke he called him not only to heal the body to work on the body but he also called dr luke to be a writer of the good news of jesus christ and to tell about how the holy spirit moved in the church he is saying for you and me, I've restored you so that what you do will bring glory and honor to God. And so you have purpose. He's created you with purpose. He wants you to fulfill that purpose. But you and I can't fulfill that purpose if we are operating in our own strength. And let me say this. Don't retire. Don't quit until your purpose is fulfilled all right listen age has nothing to do with it let's be honest let's be honest age has nothing to do with it. it is it is our society that has promoted this idea that you know what you're going to get to a certain age and you can retire and do what you want to do. Can I just tell you that your life is not your own? You've been bought with a price. You don't have a right to retire and decide to do what you want to do. You re- you've been redeemed to live your life to the glory of God. And what he says is that as long as he has given you breath in your body, that you are to keep doing it day in and day out. This is the day that the Lord has made. Well, if you're going to rejoice and be glad in it, that means that you've got to be doing what he calls you to do and thanks be to God he's gonna let you have some good time he's gonna let you have some fun because God has always been about celebrating God has always been about glorifying and, and having a good time and so he's not gonna just make your life drudgery he's gonna allow you to have a good time but whatever you do don't quit just because somebody has told you that you've aged out aren't you glad that Abraham didn't age out Yeah. Aren't you glad that Moses stayed the task until it was time for him to come home? The Bible says Moses, 120 years old, and yet he still had good vision and was still committed to leading God's people because God had not said it was time for Moses to come home. Don't you remember Caleb? Caleb, uh, according to everybody else's standards, too old to be fighting, but everybody else was scared. So when Caleb got to the land that he saw when he was scouting it out, he looked at Joshua and said, yo, bro, 
This is what God had showed me a long time ago. And I'm still as strong as I was. Here I am at 80, but I'm still as strong as I was 40 years ago when we first sought this thing out. Hey, let me go take that land. I'll take that hill. I'll defeat that enemy because the same God that was with me when I first saw it is going to be with me when I climb that mountain. And whoever is on that mountain is going to be in trouble because wherever God shows up, when he's with me, he fights on my behalf. Listen, I'm just telling you, don't you quit as long as God is with you. God will give you the strength. He will give you the power. He will give you the endurance. He will give you the resources to carry out the work that he has assigned to your hands until it is time for you to come home. So there's a work for you to do. Jesus died so that you would be restored to do that work. When you and I disappoint him, when we fall when we trip when we don't do what we've been called to do and we're at that place here's the attitude that you and I have to have whatever you do don't hide from God whatever you do take on the same attitude that Peter had when Peter found out even though he was disappointed even though he was he was wounded when he found out that it was Jesus at the shore on the beach what did Peter do he jumped out of the boat and he ran to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you and I, when we're in our state of disappointment, when we have dropped a ball, when we have failed, don't stay away from God. Don't stay away from the people of God. What you do is you run to God. And what you do is you make yourself available for him to restore you because he is the only one who can restore you. And so you run to him. Secondly, what did Peter do? Peter sat down and he had a dialogue with God. He was sitting there with Jesus Christ. He was breaking bread with Jesus Christ. He was giving him his undivided attention. This is the way you and I think about this. When you and I sit down in our morning time or the afternoon or whenever your time is for daily fellowship with God, what we're doing when we open up the word of God is we are breaking bread with the Lord and we're sitting before him in silence and we're learning to receive from him and we're eating of him so that we can be filled, so that we can be nourished what he does is he allows us to be in his presence and in his company. So first Peter ran to him, but then he stayed in his presence and in his company. And that's what you and I have to do. Stay in his presence and in his company. How do you stay in his presence and in his company? You stay in his presence and in his company by the reading of his word, by, the, by prayer and by fellowship with his people. That's how you stay in his company. It was the third thing that Jesus did or told Peter to do that you and I need to do to make sure that we walk in the fullness of our restoration. He said to Peter after he had given him all of these instructions, he said, now follow me. Now follow me. Not only are we in the presence with him, but we're actually following God. We're following Jesus. Another way to think about this is we walk with him daily. That when he gives us this day, this is the day when he gives us this day, we begin this day saying, Lord, now for this day that you've given me, what are the steps? What are the orders that you have for me? And you choose to walk with him during the course of the day. You choose to walk with him. You make it your decision to be in his company. And if you're going somewhere and Jesus says to you, no, I can't go there. Well, don't you tell Jesus to wait outside. You'll be back in a minute. 
If Jesus says that he can't go, that's the clue, that's the cue that you can't either. And so you say that I'm not going where he can't go or where he won't go. Because why? I am walking with him because when I walk with him, my purpose is firmed up. I'm restored and I have the strength to do all that he has called me to do. Run to him. Follow him. Walk with him. The process of doing that, he restores. You do know that we need restoring daily, right? He restores. Because in this life that we live, we get punched daily. So when you're walking with him daily, when you're in his presence daily, he restores so that you don't become weary of well-doing. He restores. He covers you and baptizes you with his spirit so that your, your ears are anointed so that you hear with a filter that recognizes his voice. He, he anoints your eyes so that you can see his activity and what he is doing. He renews your mind so that you can think his thoughts after you. And he anoints your hands so that they become hands that can be used to his glory. He anoints your tongue so that you speak life and not death. Why? Because you need to be anointed and restored to carry out his work. Amen. Father, we thank you for the restoring work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that that he came and fulfilled his purpose. That as the word he creates he gives light in dark places. We thank you that he is the Lamb of God who has redeemed us from our sins, that, that his life was enough, God, for you to forgive all of my debt, all of my trespasses, all of my sins. We're simply praying today for an anointing of your spirit that allows us to walk in the fullness of your call upon our lives so that we are able to truly reflect your goodness and your power and work in our lives. We thank you today for being the God of restoration and for for providing us with Jesus Christ, the healer of our soul. In his name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to listen to the pastor of New Joy Fellowship Ministry located here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. To learn more about the ministry, go to njfm.org. That's N as in new, J as in joy, F as in fellowship, M as in ministry.org. We would love to hear from you. If you have a special prayer request, reach out to us at prayer, njf at tulsacoxmail.com 
Also, Pastor Richard would love to hear from you. If you desire to connect with him, you can reach out to him at pastorrichard at tulsacoxmail.com. If you have questions on how you can connect with this awesome, wonderful Jesus that we're talking about, just send us a message. Connect with us also on Facebook at NJFM Tulsa, and that's New Joy Fellowship Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and represent Christ, represent Christ by walking in love.